Welcome to Side Talks. Man, you're bringing a lot of energy today. I like it. Uh, it's You know, I'm having to compensate for the fact that this is a gloomy day in Un- yeah. many other respects, but uh, here we are recording a podcast again, as it usually is the high point of my Wednesday, to talk yeah. about cinema. We're under a tornado watch right now, too. Oh, bummer. Really? So, But yeah, but about will keep us safe. We're good. Brad, keep us safe. Keep us safe from the tornadoes, Brad. I got you both. Thank you. Today would have been a perfect day to talk about Twister, but we never need to talk about that film again. Anyway, let's talk about some other stuff. All right. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute round one fight. fight. You know what it's time for now. Five-minute fight. Yeah, a five-minute fight. Oh, just go ahead and set it up, because I, I, we're again, once again, here I am. Taking on a favorite. A lot of people really, really love this, not film, but this episodic that we're going to fight about today. And yes. so I'm ready to lose. Uh, we are talking about the television series Breaking Bad, um, generally considered to be one of the best television series of the past 20 years, held mm-hmm. up in esteem yep. with shows like Mad Men and The Wire and The Sopranos. A little bit more plotty, a little bit more, you know, genre-y than any of those shows. You know, most of the shows we just talked about are are kind of uh, slice-of-life shows in some ways. Um, But Breaking Bad is a full-on balls-to-the-wall thriller starring Brian Cranston as a high school teacher who enters the world of illicit drug manufacturing after he's diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, it's a meth drama. It's a it's a meth drama. It ran for about six years, racked up a bunch of Emmys, racked up a bunch of viewers. People love this thing. I love this thing. Yeah. Um, How you, many seasons? You don't. Um, all five. Five. Okay, five seasons. Yeah, and then season five is split into two halves because they were like, let's stretch it out, everybody. Sure, sure. As they do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with, any, with anything you just said. I mean, clearly people really love it. I mentioned that at the get-go. Mm-hmm. I... You know, admittedly, I haven't seen five seasons of it. I mean, who would watch five seasons of it if they don't if they don't like it from episode two, let's say. Sure. And so that's where that's my first pickup is that there's a lot of this thing that happens with episodic where people go, well, I mean, how many have you watched? And I'll say, you know, three. Oh, well, that's because it doesn't really get good till eight or nine. It doesn't get really get good till season three. We don't sit in a film. We don't sit in a 90 minute film and go, yeah, but it doesn't really get good till 70 minutes in. So I'm going to jump ship. As soon as I am feeling not feeling it, hmm. and I wasn't feeling it very early on this thing, very early, and I'll tell you when I wasn't feeling it—the okay. first moment of discomfort for me, because I did, you know, I did watch a little. The first moment of discomfort for, for me is when he's standing there in those tidy whities in the field. Yep, very beginning in the first episode. First episode. Yep, and they they first of all the editing holds for a laugh which I don't think a grown man in underwear is necessarily funny. It can mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this instance, I don't think just by the nature of him standing there in his underwear is it's funny. So I wasn't laughing. When they paused for me to laugh, when the editor paused for me to laugh, I got annoyed. And then when they cut away and cut back to it, mm-hmm. just to make sure you saw the joke, mm. I was like, I don't like this. Okay, well, um, the rest of the series sure is rich and entertaining, and, it? and it's filled with like brilliant character work and amazing performances, and it's consistently thrilling and and surprisingly plotted throughout. And um, I think I would probably you should agree here. <laughs> you should that it frequently goes just sort of frequently goes for obvious humor. No, no, I, feel like I mean that's a I, I think that that. 
that moment that you're talking about in the pilot is not emblematic of what the series becomes and what the series is best at. There is I, some I mean, dark I wouldn't, I wouldn't know after throughout. like, let's say season two, I wouldn't know. Cause I'm not going to, again, I'm not, I don't stick around for 10 hours to wait for something to get better. Yeah. I hear you. And I don't want to be the sort of guy who says stick around for 10 hours, but Jesus, I mean, like, I mean, I don't stick around for 10 hours. If a date is bad, I don't stick <laughs> around for 10 hours. If, if I can't even think of one single thing. I mean, I would drop a class if but, after 10 classes. But we have to acknowledge class- that like episodic television requires a certain degree of like character setup and exposition and stuff that can sometimes be a bit of a chore to get through. But once you've established the world, once you've established the stakes and the characters and you're living in it. You know, it's off to the races. I guess, but off to the races shouldn't include 10 hours of viewing. And so that's how I think philosophically where I fall off the charts with you, but also with other folks, which is like you've just you've got to you've got to do some hard work very early on to to bring people in. Can a can a series evolve? Yes, and I hope that it does. But I just this whole just give it a go till season 4 doesn't fucking work for me. I I I I hear what you're saying and again, conceptually I agree. I guess where I disagree is that in this specific instance, okay. the pilot of Breaking Bad grabbed me. Woo. You know, pretty much from the beginning. Um and uh the developments that the series takes as it as it gets deeper and richer and it moves into seasons three and season four, um, and then later a spinoff series, Better Better Call Saul, starring Bob Odenkirk, um, which is also wonderful. I mean, I, I just I just dig what Vince Gilligan, the series creator, is bringing to the table, and I I really love. He's bringing a lot of bro energy, right? I, this mm, is a total bro show. I, there I wouldn't call the, it a bro the, the, show. Where are the female characters? They're weak female characters. We don't. But you're judging this off of a couple episodes, okay? Because, and, but let me just Walter's say, is my, wife is my prediction because I I did do a little I did did do a uh-huh. quick little Google search to see how much of my initial reaction is is fulfilled, and there is there does seem to be a, a lot of comments about about his wife being a problematic female character and, mm, and I don't think and she's a problematic the, and character. And that overall the no series way. is very there's too many dicks on the dance floor. Uh, there I mean it is it is a it is a masculine series. Yeah. Breaking uh, Bad I, I'm Sausage not gonna, Party. I'm not gonna disagree entirely with that. I, I think that those criticisms pay short shrift to the character of, of Skylar White played by Anna Gunn, the wife of Brian Cranston's character, who I think is a really, really fascinating character. You know what we need? We need more shows where there's just a lot of men and then we can just hang everything on the wife. Well, but I think the that's... The wife mm, character. Okay. It just, it, you know, I'm probably not going to like this. You know what I no, mean? It's, I, it's brotastic. I, you know, you're probably not going to, even though I think it has some of the cleverest and most gripping sort of thriller writing yeah, once on you television get, in, once in the past you get into 10 hours. Um, uh, it's time. It's time. You know what? This fight might get more interesting if we just keep doing it for another 14, 16, 20 hours. Jesus Christ. Um, you don't do you need think? to take that long because season first, two of Breaking Bad is amazing. The first 40 side talks suck. But um, when you get to around episode 100, it gets a little better. I think nobody. I, I think that might be genuinely true, though. <laughs> like, let's, not, <laughs> let's not throw stones in that direction. I don't know about that. 
Breaking Bad Five Minute Fight Episode Two, starting now. <laughs> um, previously on Side Talks, no. Um, okay, so I'm gonna go with uh, Rachel loses some points because uh, I think a grown man in whitey tidies is objectively hilarious, um, no matter how you edit it. Uh, um, not but sure. Rachel gains some points. Let's say a hundred thousand points for the point about the weak female characters. Um, the way that the actress playing his wife Skylar has been treated has just been terrible, and. As Corey said, it is an extremely masculine show, so Rachel gains about 100,000 points for that. Um, And I just think some media, regardless of its quality, can just take some time to build up to what it's going for. Uh, Novels, video games, especially television, and uh, with the exception of the Lost pilot and maybe the Breaking Bad pilot, um, a lot of shows just take time, and that's the attraction, I think, for a lot of people. So I'm 100% with Corey on this one. He gets a million points. Well, this is interesting. It's an, inter- it's an interesting take that, like, you know what? As a human being, I need to do more of just waste a bunch of fucking time. And just let wait me just for lay around on my fat ass on a couch for twenty fucking hours and just wait for something to get good. And I, just that's just how it should be. That's I just, just what we dramatically should- rolled my eyes. <laughs> I just want the the listener to know. It did introduce the majority of the world to uh, Meth Damon, aka Jesse Plemons. So it has a, a lot of points. Who doesn't show up, by the way, that. until season five? I'll give you points oh, for that. Yeah. Giancarlo Esposito doesn't show up till like season two or three. You've got like yeah, Bob Odenkirk know. in there, like season Whatever. two or three. I, it's so good. I didn't expect to win this argument because, you know, it's hard to compete against a bro heavy, too many dicks on a dance floor. Meth oh, dra- meth, brother. Meth drama with obvious humor you that just, takes 20 years to fucking ramp you up. You just don't like episodic television Not as a true. format. You, I think it's offensive that you mentioned Sopranos even in the same list as this film. I mean, this episodic series. I really do. Oh, okay. I, I love a lot of Nobody episodic. is disputing that The Sopranos is a better television series than Breaking Bad. But we're not talking about by a dramatic amount. I like Degrees. Felicity. I like Gilmore Girls. Okay. I watched <laughs> the whole series, and I still haven't watched the last two or three episodes. What does that tell you? Of of better of Breaking Bad? Yeah. Yeah. They what are, does that tell you? I just didn't tremendously care. intense. Oh oh oh, Brad. Oh Brad. No. Thank no, you. No, you're taking the wrong approach. Thank here. you, Brad. Oh goodness. We mm. can talk about this later. We're gonna have to. You know what? Let's talk about it for another 20 hours, and then it'll get good. <laughs> Reflections. Wind chimes. So, Corey, you, you shared an article the other day via our Slack. I which did. Which if Slack wanted to come on board and sponsor us, we'd talk about that a lot. You you betcha. But tell us a little bit about this article and what else going on with this particular uh, what would what do you call it? Um, sort of angle. Yeah, it's it's a film distribution item uh, from the news Initiative. this week. Um, uh, Neon Films, uh, our friends at Neon, um, who are on a tear this year. By the way, they yeah. have released some great stuff. Um, well, they acquired from from Cannes, or maybe they they developed it. I don't remember. Uh, the new film by um, Palm Door winning filmmaker maker uh, Apichat Pong Virasethakul. Um, just uh, rolls off the tongue. It there. does. It does. Um, he is a a filmmaker of Thai descent, and he is making an. I, I think this is his first English language film. It might not be entirely in English, starring Tilda Swinton, uh, called Memoria. And yes. so Neon has. Uh, this film, um, and they've announced an unusual 
Um, but what I think is a really cool distribution angle for this particular film. Uh, so Neon is going to open this film um, city to city, theater to theater, week to week. It is only playing at one venue across the country at any given time. Okay. It is opening for the first week of its uh, of its run on December 26th in New York City at the IFC Center. It will play for one week, and then it will move to its next venue. And it will do this, Neon says, forever. They do not plan to release it on DVD or Blu-ray, on VOD, on streaming. Memoria is a film that if you want to see it, you have to wait until it comes to your cinema. To your city, like a like an art piece, right? Like yes. a gallery and, exhibition. And who would be better suited to star in this than the than one Tilda and Swinton? only Tilda Swinton? Yeah. This is this is perfect for fodder for anything with Tilda Swinton in it. So this is kind of taking the opposite approach of the standards of film distribution now, which seem to be give me what I want when I want it, throw it right. on some anonymous right. streaming database so that it, when I'm half asleep scrolling, I can just find it. And don't worry about elevating film ever. Right. Don't worry about ever giving any special attention to anything or making anything specially celebratory. This is elevating memoria to the status of an event. Right. Because it is scarce. Um, if it comes to your city, and by the way, we should see about getting this at the Sidewalk Cinema, course, hopefully in 2022 sometime. Um, we'll get, you know what, Corey? We'll get it when we get it. We'll get, but see, that's the thing. We'll right? get it when we get it. It could be 2023. It could be 2024. You know, we could all be just like living in the Mad Max irradiated wasteland and they'll project it onto a rock and then move to a different rock when they're done with a week exhibition. I don't know. Um, the point is that. You know, this this honestly could be a little bit of hucksterism, right? Do they intend to never make it available? We'll see. But they're not going to come out and say that initially, of course, because they're turning this theatrical exhibition of this film into a special event. And for me, um, as someone who wants to see this film, yeah, I think this is amazing. I think yeah. that this is... You know, is it is it a gimmick? It's a little bit of a gimmick. Who cares? You know um, what? You know what's a gimmick? All of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. I, I and and talk about you know going out of your way to make this a special, memorable experience. Talk about um, instead of doing what so many studios have done over the past several years, decade, let's say, and cheapen the theatrical experience. This is once again elevating the theatrical experience to. Uh, to that sort of special event, and I, I really love this strategy. Yeah, I do too. I think this is, I think this is wonderful. I think that refocusing, and and I, I think it might be coming. My fingers are crossed. It might be coming, and I'm not saying that this particular sort of model of distribution is coming. I this mean, is not going to work right, for everything. Like, but what I'm saying might be coming is this realization from distributors, and certainly from an from an audience. That we need to do more to elevate film. Yes. And to quit using the streaming dumping ground to just put everything. I think if you look back at this, at the COVID years, right, which we're continuing on with, don't get me wrong. It's not like they're over. But if you look back at this, the last, let's say, 18 to 24 months, what what, what you see is enormous piles of film that are just lost 
that are just lost out there in the hubbub of of the streaming dumping ground. Yeah. You subscribe to Apple TV Plus. You subscribe to Prime Video. You subscribe to Netflix. You subscribe to Hulu. You have, you know, quote unquote, original films being dropped as exclusives on all of these platforms. But the reality is, as we've said many times on this podcast, your average so-and-so is not very um, well-informed about when and where these films are going to become available. And so the majority of them, including, for instance, um, and I think it's we can safely say this now that some time has passed, the film that won the jury and audience award for narratives at Sundance this past year, Coda, which is a really lovely film, acquired for record um, cost by Apple TV+. Plus kind of just was put on that platform in in August, kind of came and went, honestly. I requested it for both the cinema and the festival, and I was told no. So I'm just going to go out. I'm going to go right on the record and say it. I was told no. And who's heard of this film? Who's seen this film? I mean, you know, unfortunately, beyond uh, the crowd of folks who are so invested in independent cinema that they just keep up with everything, like, you know, like me, I guess. Right. Sure. um, Sure. Not very many people. Right. And and it's 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 a nice movie and it's you know it if if this movie had been able to be shared with a crowd. If this had been a communal experience, I think that this thing could have really picked up an audience and really picked up word of mouth and really you know become the sort of sort of Sundance uh dramedy sensation that it was kind of pegged to be yeah. when it was acquired from that festival. But the reality of, of COVID is what it is, and, and the reality of our new streaming future is what it is. And it was kind of a perfect storm for that and so many movies like that to just be lost in these endless streams of content. Yeah, I really think that a film like Boy State, right? Right, there's a really exceptional example. film would have had a life more like something like Supersize Me. Two very different films. That's not what well, I'm not getting at the. I'm not trying to say that they're in the same world, but I'm just using an example of a very popular documentary, of a crossover that, documentary. Yes, and I really think something like Boy State would have had that kind of impact had it not been just shoved down in, in, into Apple TV and you know not had. And again, it's being released at a time in the pandemic that was really dire. Yeah. Do not get me wrong about that. But it's still that strategy of dropping it on streaming and not really putting it anywhere else is just continuing. And it's just nonstop. And it's not do it's not doing any service to these films. It's really not. And now Memoria, uh, this this film that Neon is, is releasing just in a single screen every week, um, has buzz, right? right. It right. has – it's captured – the imagination of a lot of people. Now, right. are, are some of the responses kind of grumpy and negative? Like, well, now I'm definitely not going to see this 136-minute uh, slow meditative uh, piece of cinema starring Tilda Swinton that I probably wasn't going to see anyway. Right. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that, like cranky you know, people who want what they want and they want it now. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, there's just something about I the mean, scarcity of it. That, that makes it more memorable. Um, I, you know, and I say that maybe I'm speaking from a somewhat privileged perspective because I will be in New York the week that this opens and I intend to right, see it. Right. I mean, um, maybe, but, you know, people got grumpy when Cabbage Patch Kids weren't available. Right. They got mad about that. But then there's a whole there's a whole bunch of other people, you know, pulling out their wallet and doubling down on getting one. So I do think it does a service to the film. Even if you, I mean, it would be, this is a great time for us to all acknowledge that we can't and shouldn't 
always get what we want in the minute that we want it in regard to film. I mean, it makes everything less special, like we've been saying. Right. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a fan of this. I'm a fan Yeah, of this. I think it's great. Um, I, I mean, there, there are movies I've been wanting to see for like two years, right? Like the James Bond movie that's not out yet as, as of this recording. I'm, But will be in but what, will be three like days. Three days. I, I went through months where I was convinced this movie just didn't exist. And now it's about to come out. Right. Um, I've waited wah, wah. I've waited two years for this. I've waited two years for The French Dispatch. I've waited two years for Dune. I've waited two years for Halloween Kills. Yeah, exactly. So all these movies are about to come out. And the anticipation and the knowledge that, you know, a couple of those are going to be streaming day and date. But whatever. I'm seeing them in a cinema on a big screen. Um, and... The experience is all the more special because it has become all the more precious. Right. Yeah, so, agreed. Uh, Memoria is Bravo. just a way of like continuing that. Bravo. And I would like to see some more innovative thought when it comes to film distribution. I mean, Neon um, and a lot of our other friends with other specialty distributors like like A24 – um, you know, they've, they've proven to be outside the box thinkers. Um, let's see what they come up with next. Yeah. I'm interested. Thank you for listening to side talks podcast. We're your own personal cinematic Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken. Oh, God. I know. Oh, no. I know. That, that, that got, got dark. really dark. Oh, that got no. really fucking dark. Um, if you are listening and you don't understand what that's a reference to, what that's a reference to, um, look it up, I guess, unless you just really want to be just bummed out. Just go ahead and tell them. So uh, Natalie Wood Natalie is married Wood. To, to Robert Wagner. Uh-huh. They were on a boat. With Christopher Walken, who was filming that movie Brain Scan that with sounds right. Natalie Wood at the time. And that's, of course, uh, the night that Natalie Wood tragically died, fell off the boat and drowned. And, of course, there have been conspiracy theories about which of those gentlemen, if any of them, were behind it. And there seems to be some thought that Christopher Walken knows more than he said. And, yeah. I, anyway, there, I, I tend- think there might have been an affair between, you know, there's a, yeah. as one as as any as Candy Bliss Played by Whoopi Goldberg, who was a detective. God. <laughs> would, as she would tell you, Corey, there's a lot to investigate here. I tend not to believe the conspiracy theories myself. I, th- I think it was just kind of a tragic accident. But, of course, it being tragic has just kind of led to all of the speculation. Also, I just want to point out, nobody referenced, and I mean nobody on the planet referenced the deep end of the ocean ever for 20 years. And now we have done it. <laughs> Twice in two weeks. Oh, man. And and I re- roped it in, too, the deep end of the ocean being a very dark reference here in regards to these two gentlemen. And, oh, and yeah. Hollywood. Jeez. Anyway, um, let's mention our sponsor now. Let's do something more fun than talk about Natalie Wood drowning. Revelator Coffee. We love you. I love you so much. You get me going in the mornings when I desperately need it. And thanks to Batwell Studios. And thanks to you for listening at Sidewalk Film. Sidewalkfest.com. Bye, bitches. Laters. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.